everyone. Welcome back to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Courtney. And I'm Patrick. Welcome back. Welcome. Howdy. Hi. Hey. Alvita Stain. I think that's goodbye, isn't it? I have no idea I don't even what language you're speaking. <laughs> I, don't, I actually don't either. I just make noises. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. That can cuss a lot, apparently. <laughs> well, that's just you. That's just me. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was some feedback. Apparently, he's bitter. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I just feel bad that, you know, obviously podcasts aren't for everybody and everyone's podcast isn't for everybody. Oh yeah. No, but I just feel bad that like some people don't like us because you put a lot of work into it because I'm over here doing nothing but dropping <laughs> F bombs the whole time drinking my beer. We're not going to be everyone's <laughs> cup of tea and that's just how it is. That's just how it is. That's one thing we learned about what really on with podcasting, right? Is yeah. you can't, you got to make your content and you can't do it for everybody else to make everybody's up because someone's always not going to like it oh, for yeah. whatever reason. Yep. Your voice is too high pitched. Patrick's too stupid. He drinks too much. The dog farts in the background. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> like something. You know what I mean? I stopped caring, I think, what people think about me by the time I was mm, 35. That's one of the beautiful things about getting older. You just it is. You hit that stop 30, caring. 35 age, and you're like, you know what? I don't care what kind of clothes I have, what car I drive, what exactly. people think about me. It's nice. It's, it's freeing. It's liberating. It is liberating. Well, other than that, how are you? <laughs> I'm tired. How are you? I'm okay. It's a long week. Yeah, it's a long week, but it's always a long week. <laughs> well, it's even longer, especially for you because it's spring break week. Oh, yeah, spring break. So everyone's home all week. Yeah. It's been a good week, though. I'm not mad. I got to work from home like twice this week. I know. Good deal. No, we got a lot done, so it's been pretty good. And I'm super excited that we're getting a new washing machine. That's how I know I'm old. <laughs> new washing machine. Getting a new washing machine. I'm stoked about I know. it. For some random reason, I'm super excited. <laughs> Probably because our old one's so broken, we've tried to keep it for so long, but it like. It's not broken. It's just noisy. It's broken because the concrete block underneath is loose. So when you turn it on, it sounds like someone's swinging a concrete block into a metal can. Did everyone know that there's a concrete block inside of washing machines? I just learned that when this one broke. Yeah, because I had no idea. <laughs> but it's not broken, but it's it's loud. I mean, it is broken because you got to go take the whole thing apart to see if you can even fasten it back in. Do you remember that one time we were doing an interview with on YouTube? Oh, yeah. And it was live. So we couldn't on, like, um, it was a gen. It was on, yeah, it was on the And we podcast. couldn't edit it out in our watching machine. It was in the background. It sounded <laughs> like someone was like, getting beaten up against the wall. Beating the, <laughs> the dog started barking. Fuck and, the evil pudding. I know. It's just pure chaos. <laughs> yeah, so we got into washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> And Anyways. super stoked to go see the new Scream this weekend. Yeah, we're going to see that tomorrow. Super excited about that. As you know, we're huge fans. That we've was been, like our... We've been rewatching the entire series this week to plan for it, to prep. Yeah. I, they're my comfort movies, so I watched them. I, I will forever talk about it because it is the funniest thing in the world to Gain, me. Gainesville Ripper. Well, the Gainesville Ripper now, looking at it, watching it after learning about that when we covered mm-hmm. him, I didn't know any of that stuff to see how a similarity actually it is. Yeah. No, but I, you always know my favorite part of the Scream movies. Like, Ghostface and most, how he... Yeah, most horror movies, the bad guy like gets chased and he gets hit with stuff. Ghostface like does acrobatic flips when he gets hit with like a freezer door as he's running by. It is really funny. And he was flying into furniture <laughs> and stuff. It's so overly dramatically <laughs> comedic. It's, I love it. Just it. Makes me, it just makes me happy. Yeah, it makes me happy too. Like so. he just over-exaggerates every slip and fall and goes flying through the air. <laughs> Maybe on Patreon, let us know and we can do on Patreon a review of the movie. Oh, that's a good idea. The new Scream. Speaking of Patreon, we still have it. It's up. Um, yeah, absolutely. 
So go over there. We do some. We do a lot of interaction with Patreon. We do. Uh, this episode was actually recommended from a Patreon. I was just about to say and this then, is uh, a Patreon recommended you get, episode. You get early access to the episodes. If we do two parters, you get it straight two weeks in a row uh, instead of having to wait an extra week like everybody else. Also, they're ad free over there. They're not ad free anymore on Spotify. Yeah, we can't do that. Anymore. Got a new ad on there. So, mm-hmm. and even if we don't put one on there. They automatically put one on there for you. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, we gotta place so it. Yeah, it's ad where free. Where we find it's better. Yeah. Yeah, well, they'll they'll randomly place it like mid sentence. Not only is today uh, a Patreon recommended episode, but she's providing our our Patreon member is providing some um, photos. Photos. A ton Lots of, them. of photos. I was gonna say a ton of photos from when her and her family went to go visit this. So today we're doing a case that was requested by one of our friends and Patreon members, Samantha. And I'm so excited because I really thought that I knew this story, but I was wrong. Today we are diving deep into the OG of all true crime cases, I would say. One of, yes. (laughs) One of. (laughs) The Borden Family Massacre or the case of Lizzie Borden. Which... I'm excited about this one, too, because I know there's not what everyone thinks it is. Like, everyone thinks that she's just some serial killer axe murderer. Yeah, that's not the case. It's not the case. Well, also, I thought it was funny because everyone thinks, well, at least people that I've talked to when I was researching this case, they were like, isn't she a child? No, she was well into her 30s. She was 40 or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She was old. Damn near. But she's always portrayed in, like... As a the child. stories or even mm-hmm. in the TV shows with uh, like Christina Ricci and all the other ones they did. As a young woman. As a young or, like 20-something yeah, year old. Yeah. But I'm so excited because Samantha actually visited the Borden house in Massachusetts. And it's a bed and breakfast slash museum now, if you didn't know that. And she was kind enough to send us tons of pictures and she gave us permission to share. So make sure to take a look on our IG and Facebook Definitely Patreon. We'll and definitely Patreon, of course. Um, so you can kind of get a picture in your mind of where this murder mystery took place. It's still on my bucket list of places to go and stay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We got to do a whole tour up there where we go to the Borden house. We go to Salem. It'd be so fun. So fun. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today, so we may as well dive right into it. And I have to tell you, I learned so much researching this. And if you've heard this story before just like I thought I had, I hope that we're able to kind of give you a fresh new insight. So let's get going. Our story takes place in Fall River, Massachusetts in the late 1800s. At the time, Fall River was the second largest textile manufacturing center in the world, second to Manchester. Manchester, England. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So because of this, there was some money in Fall River. I feel like Fall River has been depicted in a lot of movies, just like random ones. Like, yeah, I think so too. Like a lot of horror movies are yeah. Fall River, Massachusetts. Fall River? Like, well, probably because of this. It's probably, it probably is. It's yeah. the lore that attracts it because of Lizzie. Well, in Fall River, a handful of wealthy families lived in a section called the Highlands. And that's where all the mansions were, so to speak. Right. Were the lands higher than everybody else's lands? Probably. So Fall River at the time was kind of the center of industry and a bunch of, quote, new money. And the Borden family very much ran with that 
crowd, which is what made the Borden family murder such a shocking event to begin with. The social context, right, in which it took place. Right. You think about a lot of these murders and a lot of these horrible crimes throughout time. Like when it's prostitutes or homeless people, it's not as big as it is like some upscale society person. I mean, look at the Black Dahlia type thing. It's like, not a – yeah, it doesn't shake the community as It's much. not like Hollywood's, you know, elite hangout here. Right. And this is where it happened. Or it's not the, the rich families. Like it's not like you hear about the Rockefellers getting – like involved in, you know what I mean? Right. So it's so much more publicity at the time. So let's get to know the Borden family. Andrew Borden, Lizzie's father, he married his first wife, Sarah Morse, on Christmas in 1845 at the age of 23. The couple resided in Fall River in a very nice part of town. However, Andrew was one to live very frugally. He didn't live in the Highlands. He was just... A super, super frugal guy. He was always going to save his money. That's just him. Uh, He didn't just live within his means. Uh, Some may even say he was a penny pincher or a cheapskate, which isn't a bad thing. That's how the rich stay rich. Mm, Sometimes. Andrew Borden did very well for himself. He started out selling ready-made burial coffins that were, quote, available at very short notice. And that was big for the time. Because I guess you had to make them before that. I mean, they're custom made by hand, I guess, back then. It could take, I don't know, a couple days to a week to make one. I have no idea, I'm guessing. But that means you just got to have a body sitting around for like a week. Well, also, he made huge profits because this was during the American Civil War. Oh, that's probably why. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Unfortunately. Should have led with that one. I'm over here speculating (laughs) why he's like in high demand. Yeah, because there's thousands of They had to have him ready to go. Yeah, Absolutely. So he made he began making money in that industry, and then he started to invest that money in real estate. Smart. In 1851, Sarah and Andrew had their first child, a little girl named Emma. And unfortunately, their next child, uh, sometime after that, a girl, died when she was very young. But when Emma was nine years old, the couple would have their final child, Lizzie. And we all know Lizzie. She was born on July 19th, 1860. And judging by how there were nine years between the birth of their two children, Emma and Lizzie, and also, unfortunately, by the way, that Sarah Borden passed away. Spoiler alert, she unfortunately dies. Yeah. It's thought that the couple would have suffered several miscarriages during that nine-year span, along with the death of one of their children, the little girl in between the two. Which... It's crazy to me when you look at- It's very common back then. But it's crazy to me how like things get documented back then, right? Or don't get documented. Or don't, and then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden something like Lizzie happens and everybody wants to go document everything that happened about her back then. Right, right. Make sure to get her birthday and all this stuff. They don't even have the name of her sister that died as a young child. Well, that's, unfortunately, that's why, you know, these episodes can be shorter than the others because of the lack of documentation Oh, you've covered a couple of them. You just couldn't, you couldn't find anything. You can't find anything. So- Poor Sarah and Andrew, they went through it. You know, they had some miscarriages. They lost a child. Also, I thought this was kind of interesting, and I I didn't know this before. Lizzie's full name is Lizzie Andrew Borden. So her middle name, which is her father's name, Andrew, suggests that the couple did not count on ever giving birth to a male heir to the Borden name. That's exactly what it sounds like. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, so... 
That so would, his name had to go. You know, it would have said they they're done having kids. Back in those days, this. it was always Junior the third, the right. fourth. You know what I mean? So they had, they they knew they weren't having a boy. So by the time Lizzie, I think when they gave birth to Emma, they were probably hopeful, right? At First this child, point, they're like, you know what? It's, it's not gonna the last happen. one we're gonna have. Yeah. So in March of 1963, when Lizzie was just three years old, Sarah Borden, her mother, unfortunately passed away from quote. Uterine congestion and disease of the spine. What? Yeah, so it's likely cancer uh, made worse by a number of miscarriages, if I had to guess. I just, uterine congestion mm-hmm. just sounds bad. Yeah, and like, then plus a disease of the spine. So I, it's thought to have been cancer. Right. And well, then we, it was they didn't exacerbated. Have I don't think they knew what cancer was back then. Yeah, it was exacerbated by Multiple miscarriages. Multiple miscarriages, yeah. They probably did the autopsy and found that the shit just wasn't right down there. Right. After all that. Well, the 1800s of it all. (laughs) Wonderful medicine they had in 1860. So Lizzie and Emma lost their mother. The two girls, they grew very close to their father as well as their maternal uncle, John Morse, who remained a fixture at the Borden home. In fact, John and Andrew Borden were business partners as well as friends, and John lived with the Bordens for a time in 1875. So the girls really grew up with him around. Good. Two years after the death of Sarah, Andrew decided to remarry because, you know, it was more for practical reasons back then, right? And societal, right? Because mm-hmm. he's in upper society. He can't be a widower. Right. And he had two girls to care for. Yeah, he can't, he can't be a homemaker and right. take care of his girls. He needs someone to do that. So he decided to marry because he needed a mom for his children and someone to run the household. Remember, he's a penny pincher. He's not going to hire maids. Right. And he's man. Got to do man work. It's 1860. So in 1865, he brought a 37-year-old Abby Gray into the family. So Abby. Now, Emma, the eldest boarding girl, was older when her mother died. So she didn't warm up to Abby right off the bat. Lizzie, however, didn't remember her mother. She was only three. Yeah, and her sister would have been, what, like 12, 13? Right, right. So she immediately started referring to Abby as mother. Which I'm sure pissed her sister off. Probably. Now, as for Lizzie, because she's the one in question, right? Growing up, she was an interesting character. And I have a lot of trouble figuring her out. Again, there's not a lot of documentation uh, I do know that in school, I read a bunch about what her principal said about her. Yeah. I heard she was, wasn't she like a weird kid? Like just strange? She, was, she wasn't bad. I didn't say bad. Per se, but she wasn't like the other girls. She was not normal. It was said that she was an okay student. She wasn't remarkable, but she passed. She was definitely more outgoing than her sister, and she was active at church with her family. They were religious. But she felt that people didn't like her. So she gave off a very unapproachable, unwelcoming vibe is for what I've gathered through everything I've read. And not many people like to hang around her Same in her girl. younger years. <laughs> Same <Yeah>. girl. <laughs> <laughs> she, I give off that unapproachable vibe all the time. So It's my RBF, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> hey, they, unapproachable is what they called it in 1860. Exactly. 2023, we call it resting bitch face. She also didn't really have any aspirations. For example, at 15 or 16 years old, it was said that Lizzie, who by then was quite the accomplished little pianist, just gave up her piano lessons out of the blue because she just didn't see herself ever becoming a musician. 
She's like, you know what? I don't see me doing this. I'm just not going to do it It's a waste anymore. of time to keep doing like, I'm already good. I don't need to be like perfect. If I'm yeah, I don't, do it. yeah, I'm not going to be the greatest, so I'm not going to do it. And I don't even want to try to be the greatest. I mean, she just, ha- well, she had no aspirations to even try to be the greatest at That's what I'm saying, anything, yeah. it seems like. And this is just, this is my personal thoughts. Very much a side note, and this holds zero weight whatsoever. But I wonder if Lizzie felt out of place because the Bordens did run with the upper echelon crowd of Fall River. However, they didn't live in a mansion in the same area of town that the rich lived in, the Highlands. Yeah. And her father was a bit stingy with their finances. So she may have felt lacking well, amongst probably, the people that she grew up around. Right. So but they're, then they're, she also didn't fit in with the poor crowd in the, school. Yeah, the family probably ran Maybe. around with the, the Highlands crowd, but he didn't spend money on the expensive stuff. And then so did they. You know, as a result, because the social right, but then, but then you go whatnot. home and you're talking 1860s. If the kids do, no maid, if the kids do play, they go out and play. No maids, so they're doing all their own chores when all their friends have maids. And the kids in the neighborhood they're growing up around are not the rich kids that they hang around. Well, to give you an idea of how tight Andrew was, speaking of maids, someone with his net worth would. It was said at this time that he had like seventy eight thousand dollars back then. Yeah, that's in the bank. Money. That's I mean, a lot now. I didn't do the math, but I'm gonna you, do can, the, you can do it real quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the math. <laughs> it would have been about $1.7 million. There you go. They were millionaires. In the bank. Someone of his net worth would live in a mansion with numerous servants, not just maids, but servants, right? However, it wasn't until 1889 that Andrew would hire a maid. An Irish immigrant named Bridget Sullivan. And probably after 10 years of his wife being like, can you hire someone to do this shit? Please? Probably had to beg him. Yeah, yeah, like 10 years of wearing him down. Well, get this. Up until Bridget was hired, Lizzie, Emma, and Abby did the chores. Oh, of course. And even with Bridget around, the three w- women still had chores. They had to tidy up their own space, their own room, and do their own laundry. But now they had help with the more grueling I was household say, he tasks. He probably paid her to do like the dishes and windows, that kind of stuff. And it was probably more to pay her to do the kids' rooms. And he's like, "No, kid, clean your room." It's crazy. Also, some may find it odd to note that Lizzie and Emma lived at home with their father and stepmother as adults, and that was rather strange for the time. I mean, they they didn't get married off; they were single women, adult women living at home. And who knows? Still having to do their chores. (laughs) Honestly, to me, it sounds like dad didn't want him to get married. Because a lot of times, wasn't it the father that arranged those marriages and stuff like that back then? I mean, I'm sure that happened, but uh, But, who knows? I I don't know his mindset. I don't either, but I'm thinking like, he's like, I got to pay more if they're out of here. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I, honestly, after studying this whole case, I wish I knew more about Andrew. And I wish I knew more about the time, right? Because dowries were still a thing back in that day with arranged marriages and stuff. So maybe yeah. he didn't want to pay a dowry to an upper level family that they ran around with to marry a daughter. All I mean, I don't know. I'm just guessing here. I'm uh, uh, that's all we can do. I think when many people think of Lizzie Borden, like I said before, they think of a child. But she was well into her 30s when this murder, these murders oh, took she was place. A grown as a woman. All right. In fact. People around town would whisper that the Borden daughters were destined to remain spinsters, which is just another term for what, how do you, it's like single old women 
Yeah, the, the old cat ladies. Old maid. Old cat ladies. Yeah, which ain't nothing wrong with that. No, but it's back not. Then. But then. <laughs> but spinster back then was like their slang term yeah. for an older single woman, which mm-hmm. we would say a cat lady or something like that nowadays. Right. In those days, it was very strange for a woman to re- remain single and not be married off by the age of four. Well, because literally their only job was to cook, clean, and have children back then. Like, that's what they were thought of in right. society. So it just wasn't the norm for them to live at home. So now they're even more outcasts. When Lizzie was 27, there was a very clear power struggle, is a good term for it, I think, uh, going on in the Borden house between Lizzie, Emma, and Abby, the three grown women living say, in that well, you house. Have, you have the stepmom who... Who knows at this point if the older sisters opened up to her who's like, hey, I'm mom here. You have the 27-year-old Lizzie going, I'm 27, you know, right. to run this house. And the older sister's like, hey, I'm the oldest sister. I was here first before all y'all. Well, the three women had a fight that resulted in Lizzie no longer referring to Abby as, quote, mother, as she always had. Damn. And and she, she never off. did she after that. that bad. She literally never did after that. It was after this event that other people like outside of the Borden house noted that Lizzie began to change. The Boston Herald, which I used a lot for this episode, um, they would later report that after this incident, the fight at the Borden household between the three women, Lizzie began to come out of her shell, so to speak. And they said, quote, she began to fraternize with other people. She became at once popular and then came the acquisition of friends who today, who still to this day sound her praises. She got some friends during this time. She was 27, damn near 30. And she just had a fallout with the woman she called mother until that point and her sister. And it's almost like she got some confidence after that. And she's like, you know what? Or she let's do things my way. She realized like, hey, I have no relationships outside of this house. Let me go make friends. Yeah. I've never done that because I've always had my sister and my stepmom. And my, and my dad. dad. So yeah. screw that. I'm 27. Fuck these people. So as an adult, Lizzie acquired a stronger social standing, it seems to me. And uh, she looked for relationships outside the walls of the Borden home, like we were saying. She would even go on to becoming a leading citizen in Fall River. She was very well known. She took on leadership roles in various clubs around town. And she sat on a, a bunch of boards. So, and by clubs we mean like the Rotary Club and stuff like that. Not like no, no, not like like clubs. Like the Roxbury Club. Not no, that not that one. <laughs> it's like the Rotary Club. I don't, I don't know what other clubs there are, but besides that, I don't know. I know. The knitting club, like shit. I read, and I don't have it in my notes here what it said, but um, I read that she was secretary for the Parade of Fruits and Flowers. To like fruits, that kind of do stuff. Fr- the fruits and flowers, flowers parade around? Uh, in Fall River, they do. People parade around holding grapevines? Like, <laughs> I don't like, know what that is. But <laughs> so a few things may seem off, for lack of a better word, with the Bordens, but nothing. it's nothing crazy. Oh, it's nothing like, compared to anybody else we've ever covered. Or yeah, like, that. like Andrew isn't, that we know of. Oh, right, that we know of. Abusing his kids or anything. We don't know what was said in those fallouts or those. Days. We don't know Andrew. We very don't much. know how controlling I don't he know was Andrew. behind the door. I, you know I, mean? I would. I would love. I feel like it would answer a lot of my questions that I'm left with, and you'll see what I mean if I knew Andrew better. But oh, 100 percent because we don't, don't know from those all those years 
he may have been super abusive emotionally and mentally in the house. You know what I mean? I like, mean, you don't know. We're, we can um, shoot theories back and forth when we're done. Okay. But I I, th- I feel like a lot of um, a lot of my questions would be answered if I knew I'm just saying when you have Andrew. those kids nowadays that are so lonerish and secluded. Yeah. It's such a it's just a key people like counselors and everybody look right ahead at me like there's some kind of abuse going on. Right. So according to the book, The Life, Legend, and Mystery of Lizzie Borden by Trey Wyatt, there had been long been rumors that Lizzie was suspected of shoplifting items from local stores. But whenever her theft surfaced from the local shops, it's believed that Andrew paid for whatever was taken. Paid reparations so no one pressed charges. Right. Didn't want to ruin his name to and his that, daughter. And it's a little odd for a woman who is able to purchase trips, which she did freely. Her and Emma would take extended month-long trips yeah. to different places. Um, she's able to purchase nice clothes. Why would she find the need to steal? It, it leaves a lot of room for speculation. Is uh, it to get noticed? You know, I mean, for attention? Maybe attention, impulse, the rush. Because you can buy it, it doesn't mean it makes it as it's better if you took it. Right. I don't know. Like you said, speculation. Aside from Lizzie being a klepto, there was more. In months leading up to the gruesome Borden murders, a few events occurred that seemed to be harbingers of doom. Not to be dramatic, but oh, to be harbingers <laughs> dramatic. Harbingers of doom. Okay. You like that? The first harbinger of doom. <laughs> was really the fight. Okay. Occurred on June 24th. 1891. Andrew and Abby traveled out of town to their farm in Swansea. Is that how you say it? Swansea, Massachusetts? I have no idea. Okay. Swansea? Swansea, I think it is. Anyways. Probably Swansea because it's probably named because there were swans in the sea there. True. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure y'all will. So <laughs> Somebody will do it. Somebody will. <laughs> so Emma, Lizzie, and their maid Bridget Sullivan remained at home. At some point during this day, the Borden house was apparently robbed while the three women were there. Interesting. Okay. Well, by this time, the family considered Lizzie to be somewhat of a troubled soul. And they suspected that Lizzie was actually responsible for the theft. They're like, all right, you did it. You did it or you had your friends do it or something. Something. No one, no one, was ever accused of this theft. The cops were called. No one was accused. However, Andrew did have locks installed on the doors to every room inside the house. And only Bridget Sullivan, the maid, was allowed a key to the side door of the home. That'll tell you something. Yeah, well, the way... He's covered up her stuff in the past, mm-hmm. and the cops were called out, and no one was ever charged. Makes me feel like either they knew it was her at, at the end of it, because his actions are clearly like, I don't trust somebody inside my house. I do want to point out that this day that the thefts took place was a very big day for Lizzie, because she was being inducted in, onto like the board of some prestigious and her, club. And her father and her sister were gone. No, her father and her mother were, or stepmother were gone. Oh, okay. Her father and stepmother were gone. Was it to get their attention and get them home? Because they had to hurry home or was to it, meet the cops there. Was it my big day and you're not here? Fuck you. Who knows? 
But that's a good that's a good theory too. Hey, you need to get home because I have my thing. I mean, maybe. Who knows? A few months later, more suspicious activity occurred when the Borden barn was broken into. We're going to hear a lot about the barn. Andrew did something very strange after this theft occurred, however. See, a bunch of pigeons lived in the barn out back of the Borden home, and Lizzie considered those pigeons to be her pets. That's a lot of peas, so I'm getting really (laughs) tongue-tied. Well, Andrew went and took a hatchet Mm. to a number number of the birds, claiming that, quote, they had attracted the intruders. Like the pigeons in the barn had attracted the intruders. What? What? But in hindsight, one could say that he was just simply punishing Lizzie for her out-of-pocket behavior, right? Yeah. That's what it sounds like. It's crazy. And also a hat, hatchet. It, it is very foreshadowing. It is. Yeah, it's a little weird. Anyways. Okay. So one week before the murders, not even a week, Bridget Sullivan, our maid, who had been working for the Bordens for three years by now. So she'd been there three years. She decided to serve mutton, which is lamb, for dinner on Sunday night. So the Sunday before the murders. This was the first time that Sullivan had prepared mutton for the family ever. Okay. Why does this matter? The day following that dinner, so Monday, Abby and Andrew fell extremely ill. One may even think that they may have been poisoned. Oh, okay. And mutton has a very strong flavor, which would disguise the bitter taste of any poison that may have been added to the food. Again... This is all speculation, guys. Like, this is all very much speculation. But we are rightfully speculating because even Abby suspected the next day that they had been poisoned. Mm. On August 3rd, Abby went across the street to the home of Dr. Seabury and complained to him that she suspected she and her husband had been poisoned because they had been so ill the night before. Reportedly, Lizzie told her friend and neighbor, Alice Russell, you're going to hear Alice's name pop up a lot, that Dr. Seabury laughed at this accusation. She also reportedly mentioned to Alice that even her father thought the theory to be ridiculous and refused to see Dr. Seabury altogether. And Dr. Seabury confirmed that Mr. Borden refused to see him. Okay. So, I mean, it works. Now... Lizzie didn't mention this to Miss Russell, but apparently Lizzie told her maid, Bridget Sullivan, that like her father and stepmother, she too had been ill the day before. But we can't be sure if that's true or not because Lizzie was seen out shopping that morning. Maybe she was ill later. And what was she shopping for, you may ask? (laughs) What was she shopping for? Well, later on, a witness would come forward, a man named Eli Bentz, claiming that he witnessed Lizzie stopping into D.R. Smith's drugstore where she attempted to purchase a bottle of prussic acid, a.k.a. cyanide. Oh. And she was turned away, allegedly. This is all allegedly. Right. But, hmm, Hmm. right? (laughs) If it is true, then it's like, hmm, hmm. Fuspish. The day before the murders, so the day before, 
Lizzie went next door to visit her friend, Alice Russell, where Alice would later testify that she had a very strange conversation with Lizzie. And this is really weird. Alice claimed that Lizzie spent some time talking about upcoming social plans and how she may not be attending some of the upcoming events because she had been feeling depressed. She also mentioned feeling excluded from some of the other groups of women around town, which is odd for a woman in her 30s. And I think if you read, like, I didn't want to, like, do verbatim Alice's whole conversation, but her testimony, but it was like they, Lizzie was telling her, these women sit around and laugh and talk, and then they're like, Lizzie, why aren't you talking? It sounded a lot like when our 13-year-old has issues with other girls at school, not oh. like a 30-something-year-old right, right, right. woman. I got you, I got you. you know what I mean? It sounded like a child processing. Yeah. it was. It was really strange to me. It did not sound like a 30-something-year-old woman. And this is why she was depressed, according to Alice. I didn't mean that's weird to be depressed about that. Yeah, because the other girls sit and laugh without her. That's that's almost like a, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Uh, it may be, but she also was a loner for 27 years. Yeah, that's true. And now, now she's back out, and now they're avoiding her, so she feels like she's being loaned out or loner again. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows with her? It's all speculation. We we don't know. After that conversation fell flat, things took a turn. And Alice said that Lizzie told her, quote, Mr. and Mrs. Borden were awfully sick last night. Alice asked why. Was it something they could have eaten? And Lizzie said, well, we were all sick. All but Maggie. Maggie is what they called uh, Bridget. It was like, I guess, a... Since she was Irish, they called her Maggie. I mean, sure. Whatever yeah. That's her nickname. Well, Lizzie then went on to speculate that, quote, sometimes she thinks that the milk is poisoned. Oh. This is back in the day when people had their milk delivered. So could someone have poisoned the milk? Okay. But she then Lizzie said, well, they were awfully sick, but it's strange because I wasn't sick. I didn't vomit, but I heard them vomiting. So she first said that she was sick. Yeah, now she's not sick. And now she's not sick. So according to Alice, this is what was said. I know it's a bunch of he said, she said, but who knows what happened. It's weird, always weird that people can recall conversations word verbatim. Right. Then when you're not trying to. Like you and I are talking and then all of a sudden three days from now I have to talk to a cop so I can remember verbatim the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember verbatim the conversations I need to remember. I always wondered if back then it was easier because there was no TV, there was no phone. I mean, there was nothing. There was nothing else to do but sit around and talk to people. (laughs) So maybe it was easier to recall conversations back then. It was your only form of entertainment. Yes. Your gossip. Like your bestie comes over and they say, hey, guess what? We were all like. Yeah, no, I guess it does make sense like that because you can always remember like your favorite parts of a show and what they say in it a couple of days later. But this like is that. like hot goss, right? Your friend she comes over saying, she's like, I might be poisoned. And she was My just family saying, may be poisoned. Like, all the other girls get to sit around and gossip and talk and laugh without her. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? This is all Courtney Pat speculation. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> so Lizzie apparently changed her story there, according to Alice. First she was sick, then she wasn't. 
It's a red flag, if nothing else, right? I mean, that you would honestly remember, though. You would remember if you and I were sitting there and your friend was like, oh, they were sick, oh, they were poisoned. And then she was like, I wasn't sick. Like, yeah. I thought you were sick. I thought you were. Then Lizzie went on to tell Alice that she, quote, feels afraid sometimes and that father has an enemy. When Alice asked her why she would feel that way, she said, quote, he has much trouble with his men, like his employees, that come to see him. She then went on to talk about a man that came to visit her father, and Lizzie had overheard him and her father arguing before her father kicked him out of the house. Then she went on to say how she sometimes sees men, or a man, lurking around their property at night, and she sleeps in fear with one eye open. I mean, good timing, right? The day before the murders? That's what I'm saying. I think she's (laughs) gossiping to an extent, but I think she's also trying to like... She knows what she's going to do because she just tried to kill them right? <laughs> and failed. So she's like, I'm not going to fail next time. So let me make it like somebody else did some shit. If you don't love to hear us speculate, this claim that, here's a fact, this claim that Lizzie has made to Alice about this mystery man has never been substantiated by the police. So we can only speculate as to whether or not it's true. And that's what we're doing. The timing to me seems rather odd, but I wasn't there. After a I don't failed know. Poisoning. I don't know. Yeah. Right before, the day before a murdering. Stranger things have happened, you know? Yeah, it's just, but it's too coincidental. It is. Sometimes things are so coincidental that it's like, that can't be a coincidence that that's like that. After Lizzie wrapped up her visit with Alice, she returned home. This is the evening before the murders, okay? Back at home, Lizzie's uncle, John Morse, was still there, and he stayed the night, as he often did. This was not... Like a offshoot. I mean, yeah, he yeah, always I mean, did he's, that. He's been always around. He was living there for a year. Abby retired and went to bed by 9.15. Lizzie arrived home shortly after that and went straight to bed. Everyone else in the house was in bed by 10 p.m. Isn't that late as shit in 1890? Probably. <laughs> it's like midnight, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. By the way, and I didn't add this in my notes, but Emma, she was not, she was off visiting friends at the time. She was not... At the home. Well, she wasn't even there. Yeah, she mm-hmm. wasn't even in the town. So, And this brings us to the day that the murders took place, August 4th, 1892. Okay. It started out as just a normal day, as they it always do. Because <laughs> it's not normal until it's not normal. I said it always do. <laughs> it always do be like that. It always do be like that. It always does. <laughs> <laughs> Abby and Andrew... They were the first to wake up after Bridget Sullivan, of course, because she woke up first. Right. They had breakfast together around 7 a.m., and they were soon followed by John Morse, who joined them for breakfast shortly thereafter, according to Sullivan's testimony, which was later supported by Morse's testimony. So we can be fairly sure that happened. Certain. Certain. While John and Andrew lingered chatting at the breakfast table with their men talk— Man talk, mansplaining shit. <laughs> Abby excused herself to start on her chores. Remember, they still had to work their asses off. Oh, because they still had to do all their crap. Her husband's a cheapskate and can't hire good help. Yeah. Or not, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Can't, won't. Won't. I'm not saying Bridget wasn't good help, but he's not going to pay for a bunch of help. Yeah. John left just before 9 a.m., so John Morris left. Bridget claimed that after she ate breakfast herself, she felt ill 
with a sudden headache and a dizzy spell. Oh, no. That was strange. She claimed that as she was washing dishes, Lizzie came down. She woke up and came down, and she got some coffee and cookies for breakfast around 9 a.m., which, hell yeah, that sounds like a good breakfast. It's just weird to me that this grown-ass woman still lives at home and does her chores, comes down at, like, 10 a.m. to get coffee and cookies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the hell kind of kid is, like, this is a kid. <laughs> like, a little-ass kid. As she was preparing to sit down at the breakfast table, Bridget excused herself so that she could go outside and vomit. So she was really sick. Not feeling good. She claimed to have been outside vomiting for 10 to 15 minutes or so. Must have been the mutton. Just kidding. But I mean, are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) The same thing that was in the mutton, maybe? Mm, Who knows? Before Andrew left for the day, Lizzie asked if he could take some letters to mail for her while he was in town, to which he agreed. He's like, yeah, I'll do that. So he took the letters and he left shortly before 930. About 930, Abby instructed Bridget to start washing all the windows. So Bridget grabbed a ladder and a bucket and started on the outside windows. Yeah. Which is a chore. Yeah. Especially when you're puking. (laughs) And you don't have Windex. Yeah, exactly. You're using water. (laughs) Sullivan was still washing windows a few hours later when Andrew returned home. She would later say, quote, I heard like a person at the door was trying to unlock the door, but could not. So I went to the front door and unlocked it. The spring was locked. I unbolted the door and it was locked with a key. There were three locks. So it had been locked from the inside. Mm. Which is super odd. Strange. Bridget then said she heard Lizzie laugh upstairs as she was struggling to unlock the door. Mm. So Lizzie was obviously like listening for the like to all this happening. Yeah. You know, because I think Bridget was probably muttering some curse words or oh, something. Yeah. You it know, was me I'd be out the door. What the piece of shit? Yeah, that kind of go home with this damn thing. So Lizzie was kind of upstairs at the base level giggling that this was happening. Well, Bridget continued, quote, Mr. Borden and I didn't say a word as he came in. I went back to my window washing. He came into the sitting room and went into the dining room. He had a little parcel in his hand, same as a paper or a book. He sat in a chair at the end of the lounge Miss Lizzie came downstairs and came through the front entry into the dining room. I suppose to her father. I heard her ask her father if he had any mail, and they had some small talk between them, which I didn't understand. But I heard her tell her father that Mrs. Borden had a note and had gone out. This is very important. Okay. So... What Bridget is saying is that she overheard Lizzie telling her father that Abby, Lizzie's stepmom, was given a note of some sort requesting that she leave somewhere. Which was probably common. Yeah. Because they didn't have phones, right? So they sent a note over. You have right. rich people probably had maids or somebody they could say, for, hey, run this over to the For street. whatever reason. Yeah. And, and she left. So basically she's telling her father that her stepmom's gone. She's not in the house. Exactly. This is untrue, however, because no one ever saw 
Abby Borden leave or return to the house that morning. So it's thought that Abby was still very much in the house at that time. It is my feeling that Abby was dead at that time. At that point, mm-hmm. usually. But yeah, that's my feeling. That's and most, we'll get into that later. Most realistic, normal occurring. According to Bridget, this is what happened next. Bridget began washing the dining room windows inside the house. And Lizzie brought in an ironing board to the dining room. She brought that in from the kitchen and put it on the dining room table and she commenced ironing. As Lizzie was ironing, she asked Bridget if she was going out tonight, to which Bridget said that she probably wouldn't because she wasn't feeling too well. Bridget had, uh, side note, Bridget had the evenings off so she could go and, and I'm come and go as she pleased. Friday night she probably went out and that's why she's asking, are you going out tonight? Because it's Friday. Well, I mean, she had the evenings off. Yeah, so but I'm saying I'm she could if, go out. And but there's probably come something back. she always went to. Reg- there may Maybe. have been something that, like regularly on Friday, she went to go meet the girls or do whatever. Yeah, like bingo, whatever they did back then. The club. The club. <laughs> the Rotary Club, whatever that is. <laughs> no, the, the Roxbury Club. Come on now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Lizzie told uh, Bridget, "If you go out, be sure and lock the door behind you." Because uh, Mrs. Borden has gone out on a sick call, and I might go out as well. So I don't know if she's trying to like. The hell? I know it's super strange. It's very odd. And that's something that she never told Bridget before. Yeah. Which that that makes my point that I was just saying a minute ago even more to me that she probably did normally go out on Friday night, mm-hmm. or she went out at nights. And like she never did that and never said that to her before. So obviously she's like, that's weird that you're going to tell me that. Very weird. Never, I leave all the time and you never say that. it. Yeah. So Bridget asked Lizzie who it was that was sick, to which Lizzie replied, I don't know. She had a note this morning. It must be in town. By the way, FYI, such a note summoning Abby Borden away on a, quote, sick call was never found. So make of that what you will. Hard to say. There was never a note found saying, Abby, come quick. So-and-so is sick. You know? No, but found. if Abby had already killed her, her or telling, Lizzie had already or, yeah, killed Lizzie had Abby, already killed yeah. Abby. Her telling everyone that is going to make them not go look for her because they would probably be looking for her because they haven't seen her around the house all day. Right? Dad came home. She told him that immediately so he wasn't like running around the house. You're exactly right. And let me tell you why. After Bridget finished washing the dining room windows, because Abby was not there, she felt it appropriate that she can go upstairs. Remember, she doesn't feel well. Yeah. That she can go upstairs to her room to rest and lay down and take a nap, leaving Lizzie alone downstairs with her father. Right. Lizzie Borden was the last person to have seen her father alive. We know this. According to Lizzie, this is what happened next. Okay. She says that she asked her father how he felt. Remember, he had been mysteriously ill the past few days. Yep. He responded that he felt, quote, about the same. And then he said that he needed to lie down. He then took off his shoes, put on his slippers, then took off his coat and put on his reefer, which... A smoking jacket, I I would say. The same thing like Hugh Hefner wears. Yeah. 
That's what, that's what I yeah. thought of. Yeah, it's like a smoking jacket. I was like, that has to be like what he has It's like a, a smoking jacket or as real people call them, like a bathrobe. A robe. A bathrobe. Yeah. <laughs> it's just exactly. upscale. Society calls it a house robe. Jacket. A house robe. Then he laid back on the living room lounge or sofa, as we would call it. Lizzie said that she then went out to the barn to look for fishing supplies for an upcoming fishing trip. Like a social yeah. trip on a, like a yacht, I think. Oh, they're going yachting? Okay. Yeah. Now, Bridget is upstairs having a rest. She doesn't feel well. She claimed that she had closed her eyes for maybe three to four minutes before she heard the opening of a screen door. A few minutes after that, she heard Liz- Lizzie yell, quote, Maggie, Maggie, come down. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Sullivan would later say, quote, when I got downstairs, I saw Miss Lizzie standing with her back to the screen door. I went to go right in the sitting room and she said, oh, Maggie, don't go in. I have got to have the doctor, end quote. And with that, Bridget went over to Dr. Bowen's house right away. He wasn't there. So Bridget left word with his wife that he come as soon as he could. Bridget then decided to go get Alice Russell next door, and she wasn't home either. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. No one's home. Somebody come help me. <laughs> Bridget finally found her at the uh, bake shop located on, and this is ironic, Borden Street, aptly named after the Bordens. I was going to say, any relation to the Bordens? Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, a woman named Adelaide Churchill, another neighbor, had seen Sullivan running around and figured that something was super wrong. So she made a beeline for the Borden house. Miss Churchill would later say that when she arrived at the house, she asked Lizzie what had happened and where her father was. Lizzie replied, quote, someone has killed father. He was in the sitting room. Miss Churchill then asked where Lizzie was when it happened, to which she she said, I went to the barn to get a piece of iron. Alice then asked where her mother was, to which Lizzie said, I don't know. She had gotten a note to go see someone who was sick, but she is killed too, for I thought I heard her come in. Hmm. Weird. Suspicious, I would say. Oh, yeah, by the way, she's also dead. I've told everybody, I've never told anybody else that she was probably dead too. I think she's killed too. I thought I heard her come in. How do you know that? I thought you were getting fishing supplies from the barn anyway. Exactly. So finally, Dr. Bowen arrived and he went and observed the horrible shape that Andrew Borden was in. He would later testify, quote, I saw the form of Mr. Borden lying on the lounge at the left of the sitting room door. His face was very badly cut, apparently with a sharp instrument. His face was covered in blood. That's an understatement, by the way. Yeah. I felt of his pulse and satisfied myself he was dead, glanced about the room and saw there was nothing disturbed, neither furniture nor anything at all. Mr. Borden was lying with his face to the south, on his right side, and apparently at ease, as if asleep. His face was hardly recognized by anyone that knew him, end quote. 
To say that Andrew Borden's face was cut is an understatement. (laughs) It's thought that the poor man suffered 11 blows to the face with what is later determined to have been a hatchet or an axe. His face honestly didn't even look like a face. And we have pictures of it because they took pictures of the, and I mean, they're pretty public. Yeah, they are. You can look them up. I'm not going to post those. But they're they're one of those pictures. Like if you look up the Bonnie and Clyde photos. Yeah. It's like super graphically like. Super graphic. Damn. Okay. Y'all didn't care back in the day. No, they didn't care. (laughs) They did. So there's a house full of people at the Borden house. The police aren't there yet. They're, everyone's milling about, unfortunately, destroying evidence, right? Yeah, like Hinterkaifeck. Yeah. Everybody's running around in the house and the building, everywhere. Well, in their minds, the next point of business is to somehow get word to Emma, Lizzie's sister, Abby, and out to Lizzie's stepmom. I mean, Lizzie's sister, Emma, and out to Lizzie's stepmom, Abby. Who was... Because they're not there. Yeah. And they need to know. Even though she just said she's probably dead. Exactly. Upstairs. (laughs) Okay. But for Abby, they wouldn't have to look very far to find her, unfortunately. Yeah, we knew that. Lizzie says to Bridget, and I find this strange. She says, according to Bridget, quote, I am most positive I heard her, meaning Abby, coming in. Won't you go upstairs, Bridget? Won't you go look and see if <laughs> and she's up see? there? And I would have been like, no, you go. I quit. <laughs> Y'all crazy. <laughs> no, you told me that bitch was gone. Exactly. You go look at it. This, this is a messed up house, lady. <laughs> but Bridget, she eventually did as she was told. She went upstairs to Abby's room. And it was there that she found Abby Borden lying face down on the floor next to her bed, dead. Having suffered the same fate as her husband, actually worse. She had been hatcheted to death somewhere between 18 to 20 times. So someone was super enraged. Lizzie Borden had an axe. It hurt. Mm-hmm. Gave her father, what's the quote? 20 wax? 20 wax. Yeah. But it's not true because... It was a stepmom that got the most. So apparently someone had it out for Abby. Or she did that first and got most of the rage out. Maybe. Hard to say. Maybe she wasn't as rageful. Yeah, I'm just saying. If she did it first, maybe she wasn't as rageful. So she took less shots at her dad because she felt more remorse at that point or something. Or I definitely think she hated Abby more than her dad because this was very personal because the face was... Hatcheted, yeah, you know? and they she until not that much before that she had called her mother. Yeah, until maybe about what, five ten years before that. Yeah, finally the police arrived at the Borden house, and the medical examiner, Doctor William Dolan, was brought in. I say medical examiner loosely because <laughs> I don't. I'm not a professional, but I don't like his ways. I'll well, just I, say that I don't think in those days a medical examiner was an actual doctor. Yeah, they were. Were they? Maybe a coroner wasn't, but a medical examiner was for sure. I'm, I'm guessing. Mm-mm. No, I would say that, yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Y'all will. But a medical examiner is always an actual doctor. I don't know. This is the 1890s. 
Oh, yeah. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. just Bob down the street. I don't know. It could be. Maybe Bob's been doing it for 20 years, and he knows what's a murder he versus died, a suicide versus a death. He dissects pigs. Like, he so look at somebody like, that was a heart attack, or that was a gunshot wound. Like, it's not hard to do that. Very true. Well, Dr. Dolan was in charge of the preliminary autopsies, and he would later note, quote, the body of Mr. Borden was lying on his back on the sofa. The blood was oozing, very important, from his wounds and was bright red in color, end quote. Then upon examining Mrs. Borden, Dr. Dolan would say, quote, I felt of her with my hand, touched her head, touched her hand. It was much colder than that of Mr. Borden. The blood on her head was matted and partially dried. Mm -hmm. There was no oozing from it, as in Mr. Borden's. So yeah, she's been dead a lot longer now. Yeah, a lot longer, like hours. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, like that morning or mm -hmm. something. Absolutely, which is why I said when, as soon as um, Mr. Borden came home, I would say around lunchtime, before lunchtime, when he said, I need to lay, lie down. Yeah. When Lizzie said, I think that. Abby had gone out. Yeah, gone out. Yeah. She had long she, been dead. That's what I'm saying. She's been dead since way before then. Yeah. That's my thoughts. No, anyways. Well, medically looking at that wrong, or scientifically. But medically, even, his wounds are existent or typical with fresh wounds, right? Right. Fresh wounds ooze blood and the blood, even when they die, either it stops oozing, the heart's not pumping anymore, the blood dries, coagulates. All and that with that Abby, stuff. it had time to coagulate. And so, I mean, dry. obviously, she's been dead. And she's colder, a lot right? Longer. So, the body temperature has left the body. I would like to have numbers for you um, to prove that. But uh, Dr. Dolan said that he did have a rectal thermometer, which is what they did for time of death at the time. Well, no one's going to care that that's how you're doing it. <laughs> but he said, however, I didn't use it. Just. Period. No explanation why. Just period. Probably wasn't required to do back then. I know, but it would have been so nice to have some kind of... For him to especially, say she's 10 degrees colder. And, and it's solid and then, scientific evidence. I was going to say, and modern science would say if she's yeah. 10 degrees colder, the body cools at this temperature, at this rate, it would have been dead for X amount of hours. But either way, I think it's pretty clear that Abby was the first to die and probably died hours before Andrew. And that was the determination that Dr. Dolan made as well. So yeah. I agree with it. Upon further examination of the crime scene, it was noted that Andrew was, this is interesting. Andrew was wearing his jacket, like his coat that he wore out, not his reefer. <clears throat> he was wearing his jacket, a vest, trousers, and Congress shoes, which are not house slippers. They're very much like you wear them out. No, it's, it's basically what he was wearing when he was gone. Right. Well, Lizzie had claimed that he had changed to have that. He stuff. had changed into slippers and a reefer jacket. So I mean, it's it's hard to say. Well, she can claim that all he want, all she wants, but if he's found by the rest of the town wearing the other shit. But did they remember there were tons of people milling about? Did, did they? Because there was also a jacket under his head, like a pillow. Like, they bundled it up to make, like, a pillow to go under his head. Did they change him to make him more presentable, maybe? You know? Hard to say. Somebody may have done that. Yeah, maybe, but I would think there would be blood on some of it. Yeah, you would think. 
Also on Andrew was a watch, a gold ring, and a pocketbook containing $81.65. And today that would amount to roughly $2,700. Man, just running around with two Gs in his pocket. <laughs> in today's currency. Yeah. So robbery definitely was not a motive. No, yeah. 100%. At all. The police then went to the cellar where they spotted two hatchets and two axes. They took the heavy clawed hammer hatchet with them. As that was the weapon they figured was used on the Bordens. And that would forever be the murder weapon used on the Bordens. Nice. Just a hatchet. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. Then... Deputy Marshal Fleet went and questioned the last known person to have seen Mr. Borden alive, which was Lizzie. Lizzie stuck to her story throughout the entire investigation and trial. She maintained that she was out in the barn looking for fishing supplies for an upcoming fishing trip when when the murder of her father occurred. However, she did raise some eyebrows during the initial interrogation. The initial interrogation. None of her shit makes sense. When Deputy Marshal Fleet asked her about her, quote, mother's body, Lizzie gave what was perhaps the first hint of tension in the house, abruptly chiming in, quote, she is not my mother, sir. She is my stepmother, my mother died when I was a child. Mm. End quote. Mm, that was a huge fuck you to her. So it's definitely not insinuating guilt based off that statement alone, but it's an odd thing to say when your parents are found hacked to death. And you're being questioned about it, and you're like, I don't even want to address that she's dead. But don't you're you dare gonna, call her my mother. Don't you dare say she's my let's mother. Let's address that first, yeah, not her death. Let's talk about that. <laughs> not... I mean, that's insane to me. So that's definitely a red flag. I mean, to me. Most people would be distraught beyond belief. You know, my parents were just murdered. Da-da-da-da-da. She's like, don't don't call her my mother. I mean, Lizzie's (laughs) in her, I think she's, what, 32? I'm not going to do the math. But Abby's been around since she was three. Yeah. If she was hacked to death by a stranger, she would be super distraught and not worrying about what people called her. 100%. In my mind. That's what a normal person would agree with you there. Yeah. As the initial investigation wrapped up, Emma arrived home as soon as she received word about what had happened to her father and her stepmother. Together, her and Lizzie planned a quiet funeral that was held in their home the following Saturday after the murder. So fairly quick. Yeah, it's like the next day. Mm Mm-hmm. However, the funeral procession from the Borden house to the burial site was far from quiet. Lizzie was causing quite the social upheaval, one may argue, and not for the reason you may think. My parents were just murdered. Get this. The Boston Globe would later report that a crowd of 1,500 onlookers arrived to observe Lizzie Borden making her way to the burial site. I'm sure they were already thinking she was guilty and word Uh, had gotten out, you know. This chick probably killed him, yeah. Yeah. Well, she was said to have, quote, and this is insane. This is what they had to say. Quote, worn a tight-fitting black lace dress with a plain skirt 
and waist of equally modest cut. So apparently not that modest. (laughs) And finish with a dark hat. They went on to say, of medium height, she is possessed of a symmetrical figure with a retiring manner and a carriage which would dignifiedly repel the attention. A wealth of black hair is revealed under the hat which, arranged on the top of her head, is trained about her forehead in short curls, parted in the center and thrown over to the sides. Her dark, lustrous eyes, ordinarily flashing, were dimmed, and her pale face was evident of the physical suffering she was undergoing and had experienced. To sum up, Miss Lizzie Borden, without a word from herself in her own defense, is a strong argument in her own favor, end quote. <laughs> and you wonder why us women take so long to get dressed? Because y'all pick apart what we wear like that. I'm just <laughs> baffled right now. <laughs> like, my parents just died. I know she did it, but like back in the day, there wasn't like, I guess, I know there was photography. But they had to, it was expensive. So they had to, they couldn't use it all the time. So it was like Vogue magazine right there? Yeah. So they had to like talk about what people wore and how their hair was. And that's what's important right now. That's ridiculous. That's what's important. (laughs) It's just insane to me. Nothing about Emma. Nothing about anyone else. Just her. But it was Lizzie and her dress was tight. And her hair was swooped over her forehead. How it was parted. (laughs) It's just crazy to me. I barely understood that that's what they said, so. I know. I read that like eight times and I was like, what? It's so hard to understand when they start talking about her hair. Ridiculous. But seriously, it just goes to show you how much of a stir that this woman, a woman of excellent social standing, had on the community. It, it, It was scandalous. For the time. I mean, to even suggest that a woman of her standing would commit such an atrocity. It would be scandalous now. We've talked yeah, about it. We've absolutely. said that. It's always, no matter what time period it is, that's why some of these murders get so much attention is because they're in that crowd. And she would have the nerve to attend the funeral of one of her victims in a tight dress. <laughs> Maybe she felt good about herself at that point. I, I Show me ankles. <laughs> Part of the calf. No. Yeah. No. Pretty revealing. Pornography. Stop, Ron Jeremy. <laughs> It'd be like the knee. Calm down. It's only the calf. <laughs> okay. Off topic. Anyways, while the whole town and the Borden women were out at the burial, the police decided to take advantage of the empty Borden home and do a more thorough, and I use that term very loosely, investigation. Very loosely, I use that term. And I say that because... It's a quite famous fact, if you if you will, at how poorly this home was investigated. <laughs> Alice Russell, which was a neighbor, yeah. and also Lizzie's friend, she was there to let the police officers in. And she was kind of able to give us a firsthand account of what police did with their time there. Okay. Okay. They had, I mean, can you imagine what you would do in that home? At a crime scene? Yeah. There'd be nothing left of that damn thing when they came home. Exactly. Well, that's not what happened. <laughs> she remembered that the officers did, in fact, 
conduct a search, but they didn't search everywhere. She said that they went into Miss Lizzie's room and they searched her dresser drawer. And that's it. Were they checking her underwear out? They didn't find anything there. <laughs> so they they were like, okay. They literally just went up and just like. That's enough. We just saw this girl walking in a tight dress. Let me go check her underwear drawer. Probably. What the f- Then they searched what was called the toilet room. It was Lizzie's toilet room. Uh, And, of course, they found nothing in there. It's really weird. Then they searched through through Emma's room, and they took her bed apart. But, again, they found nothing. Like, they actually hauled her mattress out. and I guess they were focusing on Emma. I don't know. I mean, I can speculate. That's all I have right now. It's really weird. they didn't find anything on Emma. That's it. That's all. Or maybe they, they were trying to see if she was covering for her sister. Or they did. Done. Search done. Oh, word. What was it? Thorough. That's all I got. <laughs> so they had the opportunity to search high and low without interference from the family, but they didn't do anything with it. That's a little odd to me. It's very odd. So not a lot of evidence. However. Lizzie would do something that would permanently incriminate her in the eyes of many the days following, or actually the day following her parents' funeral. Alice Russell was staying with Lizzie and Emma, and she said that Sunday morning, the morning after the funeral, she witnessed Lizzie, they were all at breakfast, standing around in the kitchen, and she witnessed Lizzie standing at the stove in the kitchen holding the skirt portion of a dress in her hand. When her sister Emma asked Lizzie what she was doing, Lizzie said, quote, I am going to burn this old thing up. It's covered with paint, end quote. I mean, okay. Weird. 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 Later on that day, Alice witnessed Lizzie ripping up a garment. Alice said, quote, I wouldn't let anyone see me do that, Lizzie. Well, Lizzie didn't say anything in response, but Alice noted that it was another portion of the same dress that Lizzie had been burning at the stove. Mm. So, Could it be the dress she was wearing when she murdered her parents? No. No. <laughs> the, no. the police would have found if they looked for it? So this is a key point of the investigation because Alice Russell was asked by investigators if all of Lizzie's dresses were accounted for. And Alice initially said, yes, of course, they are. But then Alice just couldn't live with herself afterwards, and she eventually fessed up. She had a guilty conscience. Yeah. So she went and found an investigator and was like, look. We're missing one here. It's not, they're not all here. They're not all here. So things aren't looking too great for Lizzie right now, unfortunately. In fact, everything they had circ- was circumstantial. Right, there's nothing to say. Says, it's all hearsay. Dress. Yet all circumstantial evidence seemed to come straight back to Lizzie Everything and points no at one her, else. But there's nothing to say like, here's your warrant type thing. Right. Trey Wyatt, the author of The Life, Legend, and Mystery of Lizzie Borden, said he said it best when he wrote, quote, the inquest testimony is what led to Lizzie Borden's arrest. Actually, there was never any murder weapon found. 
which I didn't know. I thought they found the murder hatchet. They did not. They just found other ones. They did. Not a speck of blood found on Lizzie or in her room, and no real evidence of a motive. The behavior and statements of Lizzie Borden after the murder and in the inquest were the main reason Lizzie was arrested. So with that said, let's get into the inquest and the trial. But, I mean, if she did it and she had time to clean herself up Mm -hmm. before she woke Bridget up, you know what I mean? She had time to do it. When you're And she said she took a nap, right? She said like three or four minutes later, I felt like I slept. Yeah, Yeah. I've done that before. When I slept for eight hours, I felt like it was ten minutes. You know what I mean? True. So she can't really – you don't know if it was 30 minutes that Lizzie, you know, did all this stuff, cleaned up, back it all up. I thought that too. Yeah. So why would you find it? I would actually find it odder if we came to the house and she had nothing on, no blood on her. Because mm-hmm. that means she didn't even like go near her father. Mm-hmm. Or it's just weird that she's not covered in it. Like first person's reaction when they see their family member cut up like that, you're going to run over to them, touch them, something. Yeah. You're going to get blood on you. So the fact that she's spotless is more to me like that's like a weird – Okay. So the medical examiner and lots of witnesses were called to the stand to give testimony during the inquest, which began on Tuesday, August 9th. But when Lizzie took the stand, she was unable to give clear answers to many of the questions asked of her. There was no one allowed in during the inquest, which is a shame because... There's no there's no testimony. I know we we don't know what happened. There's no like corroboration of what's being Even said. Even people who would approach the door to the inquest, they were told to get away. So no one knows. But we do know, thanks to someone leaking it to the Boston Herald, that Lizzie did not hide her disdain for her family on the witness stand, which is key. Oh. Lizzie was arrested. The same day that she testified at her inquest. Yeah, they probably took that to somebody, whoever they had to take it to. Like, look, she was like, didn't give a shit and hates her family. Right. So the inquest was kind of lengthy. Lizzie's trial began June 5th, 1893. And the entire nation was now aware and mesmerized by Lizzie's case. I mean, it was like a national phenomenon. The rich socialite woman. I mean, it's Absolutely. Still, it's still a cult phenomenon. Oh, it's a headline. It's, 100, a it's 130 headline. years later, and it is, a, it is a literal, this story, I mean, is still talked about. Lizzie was represented by a defense team hired by her sister, Emma. And they made the wise choice not to put Lizzie on the stand, well, yeah, which is always good. The only evidence they really have is how she's acting and what she's saying. I won't go over the whole trial, but Lizzie didn't testify, of course. Uh, But one very interesting thing to me was the judge would not allow the testimony of the eyewitness who allegedly saw Lizzie by the cyanide from the drugstore. Remember that? Yeah. They wouldn't allow it. He wouldn't allow it because, this is weird, during the actual autopsy, no trace of poison was found in Abby or Andrew's system, which... Is actually pretty surprising. I don't know how fast it comes out of the system, but well, no, I felt that he would have been poisoned so that he would have been tired or yeah, something. I don't know. Weird. But it's also poison testing in an autopsy in eighteen ninety four. Right. So I mean, 
How yeah, good is true. it really? <laughs> what did they sprinkle iodine and it didn't turn the color so they don't say no? After just 90 minutes of deliberation, a 12-person jury returned a verdict of not guilty in favor of Lizzie Borden. Based on the facts, and we said it before you talked about the inquest, everything was circumstantial. There was nothing saying she she didn't have the axe in her hand. She wasn't covered in blood. Nothing in 1894 says she did it. Well, Her book, testimony and the way she acted was what made her get arrested. Uh, well, the book I read, and I agree with this, uh, it's speculated that it's likely that the prejudices of that day against women, I mean, I mean, let's be fair. Oh, yeah. 1890s of it all. It worked in Lizzie's favor because no one believed that a woman, especially a woman of Lizzie's social standing, maybe, would be capable of committing not one but two horrifically violent murders. I mean, these murders were—they're bad, bad, but bad. It's that's that's another speculation, though, right? That that's not what happened per se. We don't know. It could be that. It could be also that there wasn't enough evidence when you look at it, right? It could be both. They could be like, well, there's. it kind of looks like her, but nothing's saying it's her. There's no way she did it because she's rich. You know what I mean? It could be all of those things. It's hard to say, man. We don't know. We, don't know. Said we speculate. Yeah, that's all you can do. After the trial, you'll find this interesting. Lizzie and Emma were able to realize a dream of theirs. Back when um, their father was alive, they both longed to live in a mansion, right? Mm-hmm. In the uh, Highland... In the, in the area where they socialized with. Yeah, exactly. Well, they got their mansion. Emma and Lizzie used their inheritance to purchase a mansion that they lived together until 1905 when Emma moved out. Okay. That was like, oh, well. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, oh, that's obvious. <laughs> it's not obvious. It's not? I mean, it's it doesn't look good when you're suspected, but even if you weren't suspected, people would just be like, maybe it's in poor taste. But they got an inheritance. They've been under their dad's penny-pinching figures their entire yeah. lives, and they just got handed $2 million. They're, yeah, they're going to go spend true. some shit. You know what I mean? So it's not like that far-fetched on that That's one. what they wanted to do. So. Well, they, their dad was a penny-pincher. They were never allowed to spend money and do shit. And then you can also look at it like that's what they wanted to do, and – what they're gonna do yeah okay yeah i see what you're saying i get it so in 1905 emma moved out and lizzie lived alone after that and they were sprawling home and she surrounded she killed herself. the rest of her family she stopped <laughs> and she surrounded herself with friends and because the rest of her family was dead because she killed them she liked dogs same oh yeah i get that part never married Lizzie never married, and um, she passed away in 1927 at the age of 67 years old. And this is kind of crazy. Emma passed away less than two weeks after Lizzie. So that's nuts. They passed away so closely together. That's weird. Yeah. The notoriety of this case has not subsided. As you know, the Borden house has become a bed and breakfast Slash museum. Which is why we have pictures of it. (laughs) Yeah, that attracts people from all over the world to include those interested in true crime and, of course, paranormal investigators. We've seen lots of that. I don't get that. There's a lot of people that go out there and there's not really anything that happens there. 
Like you've never heard really? of crazy stories of like. I've heard some stuff. Yeah, but how many of these paranormal investigations are actual real? Like we've we've seen so many shows that like some of them are fake, some of them are not, some of it's real, some of it's amplified. Says you. You love those. I do love those, but they're just all that shit coming about 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 Zach Baggins now. Yeah. What's his face? Nick coming out being like, dude, that you need to know some shit about that show. Yeah. We well, if y'all are TikTok connoisseurs, then you would have known that Nick is outing. He's outing Zach, yeah. but he hasn't yet. Yeah, though. he hasn't yet. But there's a couple people that are have come out and said he's it's all staged. Nah. I think to some point, to some extent, it's hard, you think to, so? it's hard to believe that it's not to some extent. Anyway, we're way off topic. I don't know. Off topic. But, I just never um, heard of that place as being like a crazy haunted spot. Yeah. We've watched our fair share of ghost hunting shows <laughs> and also ones that investigate the Borden house. I yeah, know. it has been done, but it's just not one of those ones that's like every show is like, we have to do that one. I think it's a cool gimmicky yeah. haunt. But I'm definitely going to upload some pictures that are... Um, Friend Sam yeah. has sent us with their visit of the Borden house. And you can kind of take a look at them on our IG. And They're kind of creepy. Yeah, they are. And on our Facebook. And thanks so much to you, Samantha, for sending them in and recommending this case. It was so fun to look into. It was, I enjoyed it because it's like the pop culture ones. Every once in a while, we mix those in with like the horrific, ridiculous yeah. crap you find. Yeah. We can mix in like one of these ones that's it's bad, but it's cool because it's like iconic. I also want to leave you with an option here. And this is a this is very off the cuff. You're gonna let me have a choice? No, not you. Oh. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> okay. So my oldest daughter and I, we watched a movie together and it's on Hulu. It's called Lizzie. And it actually offers up an explanation that was like, "Eh, that's kind of weird. Okay. And then after a while, I was like, why does that make the most sense? Okay, let's hear it. It's called Lizzie. Right. Um, I'm kind of scared to talk about the plot because I don't know if it's, it's never been really talked about before. Okay. But... I mean, y'all just watch it and let me know what you think. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Do yeah. that. Leave a little mystery into yeah, it. Yeah. Y'all watch it. Mystery. If you're interested, go watch it. Because I feel, I feel personally as That Courtney, one makes the most sense? I feel personally as Courtney that the maid had to have something to do with it. Oh, yeah. I knew that from the beginning. You did? I didn't. How else would she prepare mutton that she's never made before the day they all get sick? And the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. She's either Lizzie's painter, you know what I mean? Or I felt that they Lizzie's like, hey, if they die, I get all their money. I'll give you a little money. I feel like they had to have had some sort of relationship. Arrangement, deal. Arrangement, deal, something. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Cause like seriously, like think about it. Like, hey, I don't have it right now, but if you help me with this, I'm gonna hook you up because we're gonna get hooked up. I also think that if you look at America's history with uh, Irish immigrants. Bad. It's not good. No. Um, And she was in a really vulnerable state. And she probably clung to that, you know? Yeah, maybe. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And we love you. 
Be good to each other, and we will see you next time. Bye.